Hello, everyone. In this podcast, we will be discussing sensitive topics such as sexual assault. It's important to take care of yourself while listening. Some suggestions are listening while you're in a healthy headspace or knowing who you can reach out to if you become upset. Our 24-7 helpline for crisis calls based out of Central Florida is 407-500-HEAL. By contacting the national hotline at 1-800-656-4673, you can get support and learn about your local resources. There's always someone ready to help. the Victim Service Center podcast. Here we sit down with professionals that serve survivors and victims of trauma or those who have experienced violence and have conversations about social issues. This week, we are talking about LGBTQ plus veterans. My name is Emily Mitchell. My pronouns are she, her, and I am the education coordinator at the Victim Service Center of Central Florida. With me today, I have Carrie Griffin. Carrie uses she, her pronouns and is a licensed clinical social worker and certified addiction professional who has been working at the Orlando VA healthcare system for over 16 years. Carrie has worked in both the substance use disorder clinic and the mental health clinic. In the last 11 years, she has also had the collateral duties of being the Orlando VA LGBTQ special emphasis program manager and veteran care coordinator. Just recently, Carrie was able to get approved a full-time LGBTQ plus veteran care program coordinator position at the Orlando VA for all nine of their Central Florida healthcare sites. Carrie is very passionate about ensuring that LGBTQ plus veterans get the best whole health care possible and are treated with dignity and respect. So Carrie, thank you so, so much for being here today. We're so excited to have you. Thanks for having me. And I also have returning Kevin Fox. So Kevin uses he, him pronouns and is a victim advocate in an adjunct position with the VSC and Zebra Coalition serving survivors in the LGBTQ community. Kevin worked as a high school teacher while receiving his Master of Arts in Clinical Mental Health Counseling from Rollins College. His passion when working with clients is to help them increase their resilience and satisfaction with their everyday lives. He seeks to help clients increase their meaning from life and live more authentically and honestly. So Kevin, thank you as well for being back on the podcast. Yes. As you know, I'm always happy to be there. I was also just thinking my bio is so long. You should just, you should just never say it again and just copy and paste it since I'm on like every other podcast. <laughs> yeah. I should just be like, please refer to any of the other episodes. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so as a really brief introduction today, we're going to be talking about the Orlando VA healthcare system, the services that they provide and the amazing work that they do, including what Carrie does. We'll also be talking a little bit about Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And we're also going to dive into how the Orlando VA and the VSC can support LGBTQ plus veteran survivors. So with that, I would love to start off to see if you could talk a little bit about Orlando VA and what your role is. 
So we have grown in my last 16 years here. So we were one site here at Lake Baldwin. Now we are nine sites to include our Lake Nona Hospital, uh, which is pretty exciting. So um, I don't think a lot of people know that we have so many sites around the Central Florida area and how, what a wide range and county-wise uh, of veterans that we serve. We have one of the largest veteran populations we serve here in Orlando in the country. Um, because we do have a lot of people that retire here, snowbird here, move here for our theme parks and everything else. So on top of us having a large veteran population, we have a large LGBTQ population too. So the two coincide here in Orlando in a perfect storm, if you will. So we have um, been able to justify moving uh, our VA ahead and having a full-time LGBTQ veteran care program coordinator because of those reasons. Um, and making sure that we service all of our veterans who serve to include our LGBTQ ones. So the Orlando VA, like all of our VAs across the country provide varying services, mental health, uh, medical, you know, health uh, services, whole health services. Um, I mean, the, the list goes on and on. I mean, the VA does provide pretty much everything. And what we don't provide, we utilize the Mission Act and community care to uh, refer veterans out into the community so they can get those services at our community partners and organizations, people who become vendors with the, the VA system to provide those services. Um, I'm just happy that I, I get to talk about everything the VA provides because I know sometimes the VA can uh, be given a bad name, but working here for as long as I have, I wouldn't stay in a healthcare organization that didn't try and do its best to help all of our veterans. And so I stay here because it is a great place um, to help not only just our veteran patients, but we're one of the largest employers of veteran staff as well. So I get to work with a lot of veterans and help a lot of veterans. So it's kind of this dual wonderful uh, thing that I get to do day in and day out. So I, I'm excited to do it every day. And I, I truly feel honored to be able to be that person that can be the change and uh, be a part of, although the system is huge because it is a federal facility, a lot of moving parts uh, across the country, um, but I think that it, it speaks to what a great service we're trying to do for our veterans, although sometimes because of all those pieces and wheels in motion, it can be challenging. I think that it uh, definitely is trying to do its part to make sure that we get to all our veterans to do things like decrease the suicide rate among veterans and and, and work with veterans that maybe have MST or IPV or anything else that we get them the help that they need and the services that they deserve. Thank you so much for going over that, Carrie. And also thank you so much for like everything that you do. I know that you basically manifested your position. Is that right? Correct. So in my time here, my first five years was with our substance abuse clinic. And the last 11 years, I've been a mental health therapist. Um, but in the last 11 years, um, I noticed that our diversity and inclusion committee, which all of our VAs have, um, we have special emphasis programs. So we have Asian Pacific, Native American, disabilities, women, um, Hispanic, uh, Black, and African American. I noticed there was not an LGBTQ one 11 years ago. So I said to our EEO, hey, how come this population isn't being considered? He's like, you know what? You're absolutely right. Why don't you take up the reins on that? So <laughs> careful what you say, people. Um, but that being said, um, I kind of fell into it. And it was a specialty population that I had worked with, um, you know, in my growing up with undergraduate school, graduate school in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, I worked a lot of HIV clinics and 
things of that nature. So this was something that was near and dear to my heart. So I said, sure. So I've been doing the special emphasis program manager role, which is more how do we get diverse employees into the VA to include LGBTQ ones. And then the veteran care coordinator role, which is how do we provide the best services and supports for our LGBTQ veterans. So I'm actually working both sides of the house and those were collateral duties. That was stuff that I was doing on my own time to ensure that we were providing the best services. My full-time job was being a therapist and seeing therapy patients all day, every day. So I was trying to fit in my collateral duties into that full-time role, which over time I created a beast and it became a full-time position and I was doing two jobs, but I couldn't quite manage it anymore. So I kept advocating and going to different service lines. How do we fit this in? Why doesn't Orlando become a trailblazer? This is something that needs to be more. And um, over the last couple of years, I really drove hard at it and created um, a functional statement, a performance plan and everything else, pulled statistics and said, we can justify this. And, and finally, um, our mental health department said, you're absolutely right. So they were able to pull a full-time position and dedicate it for this role, which I'm super grateful for. Um, now, that being said, I also know that moving into this role presently full time, I don't want to stigmatize the LGBT community um, that this is just a mental health issue. It's not. Um, but that's where the role came out of. And as a mental health therapist, of course, I want to make sure that we're providing that services along with all the other services that the VA provides. So although my position came out of the mental health clinic, you don't have to be have a mental health diagnosis for me to help assist you with your care at the VA and identifying as an LGBTQ veteran. So I really want to make sure that I, I walk that fine line and, and, and provide those services without any stigmatizing um, consequences with it either. So yes, it was a long time coming, um, but I'm not one to keep quiet. Um, anybody that knows me knows that I am um, a loud and proud ally and that I'm willing to push the envelope so that we can provide the best services possible. I've been so grateful in the last 11 years to meet so many great people like you all and doing outreach and uh, meeting uh, community partners that I can talk to and do things with them. They do stuff with us and our pride celebrations and everything else. So um, the more we talk and work together, the more we can provide the best services, best healthcare possible to our veterans, but to their family members too, because this stretches beyond just vets. They have spouses, they have children, they have family members that sometimes are caregivers for them. So this stretches throughout, not just our veterans, but their loved ones too. So it's it's more of a global project. It's not just this little things, it, it ripples out into the whole community. And that's why this is important, I think. Absolutely. And thank you so much for sharing all of that. Yeah, we talk a lot about like communal healing and how that really is kind of all of us kind of coming together. And it, it, you know, it's not just the individual, it's really those ripple effects that you were talking about. Um, I think that sometimes there could be kind of confusion between the VHA and the VBA. So I was wondering if you could kind of just talk a little bit about the difference between those. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so VHA is the Veterans Health Administration. So that's who I work for, right? Our healthcare that we're providing our nation's veterans. VBA is Veterans Benefits Administration. They're another arm of, you know, veteran care, but they deal with benefits, service-connected disability, and things of that nature. And then there's a third arm 
uh, for burial benefits, you know, um, afterlife planning and things of that with the VA cemeteries across the country and what have you. So we have kind of these three arms of, but we all work together, but kind of with different roles uh, with our nation's veterans. Yeah, kind of different focuses for sure. So I appreciate you kind of talking about the differences there. Um, Kevin, I wanted to get you in on this conversation too. I know that you used to be a, a high school teacher. Um, so and I don't know if you have any kind of history about what is Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And then of course, um, Carrie, you can jump in as well. Um, I think that it's an important piece to this topic. So what is the history of this, uh, of Don't Ask, Don't Tell? What do you know about it? Yeah, Don't Ask, Don't Tell, for those who don't know, I know, I know most people are probably familiar, but it was the idea that you could be gay in the military, but don't ask, don't tell, don't tell anybody, don't ask anybody. Um, because if they, it was found out, it was not supported and you would be dishonorably discharged, which in the world of military is um, the worst. I mean, I'd have to say it's probably the worst disciplinary action you get because it's not just being fired, it's losing. You, I mean, you could have been in the military for 20 plus years and we know that pension is great and the benefits are great. And then you lose all of that um, and you have zero support from the VA. It's as if you were never, never even a part of it. You know, if you were hoping to use a GI bill for college, you lose that, you lose everything. So um, it created a, a lot of fear in LGBT persons, they weren't a joining the military, right? They weren't, uh, I don't know, many still did, but many didn't feel like they were allowed to. And therefore like the military was losing on good, smart people that could be serving. Um, and it created just this toxic fear that existed for a long time. I have, uh, we've talked in podcasts before about toxic masculinity and some of that culture very much unfortunately exists uh, in some of the armed services and the way that things are run there. So it pushes some of the gay and queer people to the side. Um, luckily, it was repealed, um, I think, in 07. I uh, 10 say. years ago, in 2011. We just had 11. the 10-year repeal this pa uh, past Monday, the 20th. So it's been 10 years. Yes. And so it finally went away, which was incredible. Um, of course, there's other issues now, and I know we're not going political, um, but for trans individuals, it is still a barrier for them to receive care and support throughout serving in the military. So there's still a ways to go. The good news is that Don't Ask, Don't Tell has been effectively removed, and now you can be out and proud and talk about your husband and your adopted kids and whatever while serving in the military. Thank you, Kevin. And I don't know, Carrie, if you wanted to talk a little bit about, um, are there, you know, um, anything else that you want to talk about as far as jumping in on Don't Ask, Don't Tell? Yeah. So, you know, it came about during the Clinton administration, it started in 94 um, and was repealed in 2011. It was supposed to protect LGBTQ people. So they're not going to be asked about it in that way, you know, but then it became what Kevin was stating. It became something that people had to hide who they were. Um, they couldn't be open and serve. And a lot of people were discharged dishonorably or other than honorable. So if you're dishonorably discharged, you don't, you don't qualify for services, as he was saying at the VA. The other than honorable discharges, 
you have very limited services you can get at the VA. So this impacted a lot of people being discharged out under that and having homosexual, you know, plastered on your DD-214 makes it very challenging to, you know, apply for jobs and, and do things after coming out of the service, let alone get the, the benefits. Um, so yes, we had a little celebration here 10 years ago when the repeal happened, which uh, was great. Um, and then we just, you know, had a celebration last Monday on the 20th of September because it had been 10 years since it repealed. And the VA Secretary McDonough made an announcement that day that um, there have been some successes uh, in the last year or two with people upgrading their discharge status. And now they're going to work across the board to upgrade anybody who is discharged under Don't Ask, Don't Tell, upgrade their, their discharges so that they can get the benefits that they served and deserved. Um, that, so those that were pushed out under don't ask, don't tell, they are working on upgrading those discharges, which is a great thing. Um, cause it would just make me so angry every time I would see something like that. Um, so yes, Kevin's absolutely right. We've come a long ways. We still have a ways to go, but I'm happy that our administration is acknowledging that and trying to move forward in how to make that change so we can make sure those veterans get their benefits. I love that. And, and I love that they're also going back and making sure they're like not leaving anyone behind um, and being really thoughtful about that, too. I, I didn't know that they could change their, you know, discharge status. So that's an amazing um, effort that the VA is able to kind of move forward with. Kevin, I wanted to know, do any of your clients, because I know you work with clients within the LGBTQ plus community, did they ever talk about how like don't ask, don't tell, like how it impacted them or how might the don't ask, don't tell, like contribute, like how it contributed to a culture of silence and shame, even from non-vets or, you know, things like that. Did they ever talk about it at all? Not directly with my clients as far as impact. Um, I don't, none of the clients that I currently have are veterans um, and have served the talk that has come up, especially with the trans or non-binary clients um, more recently is, is just throughout the last few years, there was a ban on trans service and they weren't directly affected as people currently serving or veterans, but it was the thought that, oh, wow. Okay. So as a trans person, I'm not good enough to be allowed to serve even, even if I'm willing and able. Um, so that had an impact because it felt like why bother to even want to serve or to be proud of where I'm from if you're saying that I can't even put my life on the line for my country. So that buzzed a lot of talk. Um, but luckily, especially working a lot with young adults, um, none of them were directly affected by Don't Ask, Don't Tell. That actually leads me to another question that I had, I think, you know, that you were mentioning that ban on trans individuals from enlisting, which of course is lifted now. Um, there may be like this idea that the military does not support the LGBTQ plus community. So given your role, Carrie, how would you go about addressing this? So there, the, definitely you're correct. When administrations have changed over the years, it's been this up and down and up and down, it seems, right? And so there were individuals that felt they couldn't openly serve as their authentic selves, identifying as transgender or non-binary. Um, that changed as of this year, uh, that individuals can serve openly, which is wonderful and I'm so happy about. What was interesting is 
when there was the ban, we were still providing transgender care services at the VA. So even though they couldn't openly serve in the military, once they got out and got to the VA, we were providing services. So um, they didn't quite line up because I was I was very concerned for quite some time. Like I said, I've been doing this stuff for 11 years here, and I was concerned that they were going to take back the services that we were providing at the VA. And I was like kind of holding bated breath, like, please don't <laughs> you know, take back what the accomplishments we've made. So I'm glad that that never happened at the VA side of the house. We've always been providing the LGBTQ services. What I was happy about is they finalized our national policies around 2017. Um, so we have an LGB policy and we have a transgender non-binary policy, national policies, which are constantly being updated, amended, added to, especially as we're moving towards expanding services through VHA for our transgender non-binary veterans uh, specifically. Um, so I, I was happy that we've kind of continued to provide services. So although there's been those up and down moments over the years, as far as VHA is concerned, we've continued to provide the services. But I think the impact was when they were in the service and they felt they couldn't openly serve, um, that takes a toll on one's mental health, right? And so by the time they got out, they whatever they experienced, whether it was tours overseas, maybe they had PTSD or MST or any plethora of other issues, um, and then they couldn't be their authentic selves. And you pile that all together, which led to a, a lot of individuals coming in and saying, I, I've got a lot I got to work through and unpack here, you know? Um, so, you know, working with those individuals, I mean, I've provided individual therapy, couples therapy, family therapy. I've had LGBTQ groups here for 11 years at the VA. A lot of people don't know that we do that. And so it's important. This is why I do things like this and do outreach. I want people to know that we have these services available. Um, not just on the mental side of mental health side of the house, but the, the, the medical side of the house too. And I know we'll come back to other services and stuff like that. So I'll talk all about that later, but I think it just left those individuals feeling that they needed to unpack a whole lot once they got here, um, to include, you know, identifying as transgender or identifying as non-binary and being fearful though, too, like, can I go to the VA? Can I be open about who I am? I was scared to do that in the service. Can I do that now? Can I trust the government? You know, there's been a lot of distrust of the government over the years. Think about the Vietnam vets and how they were treated when they come back, came back. We didn't have all these services available to them, you know, way back when, when they, when they left Vietnam and came home. Things are a lot different now. We have a lot more supports and services, thankfully. Um, so there was a lot of distrust of the government then, let alone if you couldn't openly serve or you couldn't be your authentic self and you were serving your country, you were going overseas. Um, so I, I think there was that kind of fearfulness and distrust. Um, but I do want to mention that another recent announcement was um, there is a new LGBTQ quit start guide. So those that are um, leaving the service get this information about how to connect with LGBT services once they get to the VA. The exciting part about that is some of the LGBTQ veterans that I have seen here in Orlando were a part of the work group and were interviewed to be a part of how to make that happen. So even some of our veterans here in Orlando were a part of that process. And I'm happy to say they helped uh, facilitate how that would look and what information would they have liked when they were leaving the service so that our service uh, 
uh, individuals once they're uh, departing and coming into the VA system know how they can connect and what services are available. So that was really exciting that that's come out recently too. So we can kind of get them to where they need to be after they get out of the service. That's incredible. I, I really appreciate you kind of talking about um, the impacts that these different things can have on veterans and as on the LGBTQ plus community as a whole, I think. Um, but also it's amazing to hear about that, that guide. Um, and going off of that, what are those many services that the, uh, that the VA is able to provide specifically for the LGBTQ plus community? So um, mental health, obviously we talked about individual, couple, family therapy. I have an LGBTQ group twice a month and I have a transgender non-binary group twice a month. Right now they're happening virtually. <laughs> Thanks COVID for the last year and a half. Um, but uh, hopefully we'll be back face-to-face because -face I do miss seeing everybody. Um, and um, so there's the mental health side of the house. We also have mental health pre-surgical clearances. So if somebody needs that mental health evaluation, assessment, and letter, we do provide those prior to gender affirming surgeries as well. Um, so that's also an option. We have prosthetics. So any uh, veterans uh, identified as transgender or non-binary can get a referral to our prosthetics department. Maybe they have male pattern baldness and they need a wig or a stand to pee device or a chest binder, things like that. Our prosthetics department uh, will help them find a vendor and supply. Our audiology department are great. They provide speech therapy for anybody who wants to work on hiring or lowering their vocal register and things of that nature. Our endocrinology staff provide hormone replacement therapy. Um, so if a veteran is healthy, we want them stable mentally and physically, and we wanna provide them hormones and our endocrinology staff are great about doing that as well. So that's available at the VA. Anything pretty much pre and post-op, if there's any complications after surgeries, um, you know, let's say a breast implant ruptures or, you know, something else happens, the VA is to help with any of those post-op dilators through prosthetics if they need something like that um, are available. The great news is that Secretary McDonough came to our Pride celebration here in June in Orlando to join us and announced that VHA nationally is working towards providing gender affirming surgeries. Uh, for our veterans. Now, I got a bunch of phone calls that following Monday after that Saturday Pride event. It is not going to happen overnight. This is a big organization with a lot of parts, as I mentioned before. Um, but the good news is we're moving in that direction. So um, I am on a couple national work groups that are just getting started so we can figure out policy, procedure, training. Do we do community care? Are we going to have it available at the VA and things of that nature? So this big undertaking, it's probably going to take a couple years, but I'm excited that we're moving in that direction. Another thing that I'm working on is hair removal. That's been a big um, uh, challenge. Um, as far as like getting it in-house versus community care and things like that. So we're actually in Orlando in the process of talking about getting electrolysis and hair, laser hair removal equipment, see if we can get it on site, get staff trained to provide the services. And then um, inter-facility consultative veterans, I'm our LGBTQ vision lead, by the way, which means I'm the lead over Puerto Rico, Florida, and South Georgia, all our veteran care coordinators. And so some of them have challenges at their facilities too. So if they can consult to our facility for hair removal, then the veteran can travel to us or we travel to them and things like that. So kind of working together and helping each other out with our veterans who need certain services. 
Um, so it's exciting. I, I, I'm, I'm excited about us moving forward. I get to be on a lot of national work groups, whether it's for developing trainings or these policies and procedures for expanding services. So um, I've been doing, I'm kind of the old timer um, doing this 11 years, believe it or not. Um, a lot of our LGBTQ veteran care coordinators that are still doing this as a collateral duty, some of them are new to the role. So orienting new staff across the country, this virtual stuff has been allowing us to be able to connect with each other all across the country, which is great because if I have a veteran that lives in Portland, Oregon, and they wanna know who the LGBTQ coordinator is here, they can find me online, reach out to me, ask me about Orlando services. I can tell them how to prepare and what to do once they get here and vice versa if a veteran's moving to another state somewhere else. So that's pretty amazing that we've been able to kind of connect over the years too, that's uh, which incredible. helps our vets. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. All those services that you were listing off, I had no idea that you were able to provide that and also like adding on to in-house laser hair removal is so important too. And Kevin, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, you know, Carrie was mentioning gender affirming surgery and speech therapy and all these things. Why are these so important for people in the LGBTQ plus community? Why is it so important that they are able to get these services? Yeah. I mean, so much validation that like who you are and how you identify we support and we want to take care of and we want to nurture. Um, and that this, especially when you're talking about, I mean, in general, that's what everyone wants, right? To feel validated in their own skin. Um, but then especially when it comes to something as major as being a veteran and serving like those people who gave, I mean, any amount of years is an incredible service, but especially the people who give 10, 20, 30 plus years, um, to be recognized in that way. Like you put quite literally your life on the line for us for many years, um, going into dangerous situations, high stress, um, really tough environments. And to come out of that and be like, know that there's an agency or in a network that has your back, um, is life-changing because now that they are done and retired and can access these services, being able to live their best life afterwards, um, especially I too, I, I feel like it's so important with, when I think of the military, I think historically it's very anti-women, anti-LGBT. So to know that the support services now are very like, we are doing everything we can for you is incredible. I, I agree. I, I know because I've heard from veterans over the years, their struggles, you know, some, it's interesting in all the patients that I've seen over the years, some people had no problems. They openly served like they tell me, and I'm using a veteran example. I smoked pink cigarettes. Everybody knew it was great. We were wonderful. It was, it was great. And then other veterans who were, you know, pushed out under don't ask, tell other veterans who may have been victims of assaults or things of that nature, harassment and things like that. Um, it just breaks my heart, you know, the different stories that I've heard. So if I in any way could say what you said, Kevin, I see you, I hear you. What can I do? What can we do to help you feel safe again? What can we do to alleviate? I'm not going to say your diagnosis is going to go away, but alleviate some of the symptoms and help you live healthier and happier. Then let's do that. Because I, I can't speak for those people, but I can speak for who I am and where we're at and what we can do to help you now. 
Um, so I, I definitely try and do my best every day to do that. And if I just make that small little difference with one person and, and veterans talk to each other, let me tell you, the veterans are a network un, unto themselves. And whether it's good or bad, news spreads fast. <laughs> so um, I want that news that spreads to be great news. Um, I recently uh, was on a national work group and we worked on these uh, these affirming posters that are supposed to go up in all our check-in areas. And they say, you know, uh, please tell me your name, please tell me your pronouns so I can have the right information to assist you. I just put up the first one this week in the clinic where I am here at Lake Baldwin. And I already saw posts on Instagram and, and Facebook of veterans like, oh my God, I saw this in the check-in area. I couldn't believe it, you know, and that makes my heart happy um, because just, you know, now that's not to say we don't have some veterans who are like, why is this up? Why am I seeing these things? You know, so we do have some vets that, you know, didn't like the pride flags being flown at all of our facilities during pride month that don't like to see my rainbow picture up on the TVs and the lobbies seeing, you know, I'm the veteran care coordinator. We're always going to run into individuals that have their stuck points when it comes to the discussion uh, of LGBTQ. That being said, I am grateful and we are blessed here in Orlando to have a chief medical officer and a director who are very LGBTQ friendly. Our director, every meeting he's in behind his head, you see a rainbow ally card and a safe zone card and he's got a rainbow lanyard on. Mr. Cook and Dr. Zacker are amazing and they are super supportive. So to have top-down support saying we serve all who serve, we don't just serve certain veterans here at the VA. Mr. Cook is very clear, we serve everybody. We don't pick and choose which veterans we serve here. So um, he's very supportive. And I think that, that helps create that welcoming environment. All these little things we do with staff wearing rainbow lanyards or having safe space or ally cards up in their offices or outside their office door, people see those visual cues and they feel like they can be open, they can be honest. And how are we to provide the best overall whole health care if we're not being open and honest in our dialogue and our assessments with our veterans. So that's super important. And I want to make sure we keep fostering that. Yeah, I think, oh man, I think it just shows that we talk a lot about how, you know, representation matters and it does, you know, we see you, we hear you and we validate you and you deserve to be here. Right. Um, and deserve these services. So yeah, I, I think it's very clear why there needs to be these specific LGBTQ plus services for vets and that there's people like you that exist. You also mentioned, um, you know, sexual harassment and sexual violence and stuff like that. So sort of piggybacking off of that, a study released by Rand Corporation, which analyzed 2016 and 2018 workplace and gender relations surveys of active duty members found I know this is active duties and you work with vets, but they found that LGBTQ plus service members experience higher rates of sexual violence. So in fact, even though LGBTQ plus service members represented only 12% of the active duty component population in 2018, they actually accounted for approximately 43% of all sexually assaulted service members in that year. So I know that that's active duty members, but given that they're more at risk for things like sexual violence. How can the VA help LGBTQ plus veteran survivors? So the great news is being the LGBTQ veteran care program coordinator, I work in conjunction with a lot of our programs throughout the VA. So one of those is uh, our MST coordinator, our military sexual trauma coordinator. 
Um, I work with her. If she has any veterans that maybe, you know, the overlap of LGBTQ and, and military sexual trauma, we can work together to help that veteran get the services that they need. Um, whether it's women's health, uh, we have a women's health coordinator and working with her, whether it's fertility issues or um, trauma issues and things of that nature. And then we have an IPV coordinator, um, uh, which is our, our interpersonal violence or intimate partner violence coordinator. And I work with her. October is uh, IPV Awareness and Prevention Month, obviously. Um, so our IPV coordinator is going to be doing a lot of things. And I, you know, I when she has tabling events or lunch and learns, I try to hop in. We talk about how the LGBTQ uh, community is impacted as well. You know, September was Suicide Awareness and Prevention Month. I work a lot of outreach and do a lot of events with our suicide prevention team. We just did an LGBTQ suicide lunch and learn. And, and prevention and risk factors and things like that. So working with our different teams and all of us being on board to assist wherever we need to, I think really helps our veterans get all the care that they need. So it's not just, oh, well, you're over there, you do that, and you're over there, you do that. No, we work together to assist the veteran because our veterans have many layers, right? Whether it's medical issues or mental health issues or in um, intimate partner violence or military sexual trauma or suicide prevention, they all overlap each other. So we want to address all of those things to treat the whole health of the veteran. Okay. So thankfully we have that kind of camaraderie and that, that available to the VA. So if veterans have experienced certain things in the service, then we want to get them um, connected with the MST coordinator or the IPV coordinator. Um, and, and vice versa, they reach out to me if they need to. So I, I'm grateful that we have that dynamic in the VA system. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, that partnership is very key, I think, and just understanding that intersectional piece to it too. Um, I was hoping that you, Kevin, can talk a little bit about what the VSC can do for LGBTQ plus veteran survivors and all survivors. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. VSC, as I'm sure. I mean, I can't, I have to imagine the listeners, if they've listened to this podcast, they've found a few more episodes too. Um, but we are the Rape Crisis Center. So the, the bulk of our mission is to serve um, survivors of sexual assault who need counseling assistance, need accompaniment through the court process. Um, of course, if they're a veteran, they can get some of those services, the counseling and things through the VA. Um, and we're here as well. And, and more help is better than no help. So <laughs> um, use us both, use us all. That's what we're here for. And, you know, sadly, in terms of the LGBTQ context, I'm not surprised. We know that's always how it is. If, if you're in a marginalized group, even though you're the minority, you're almost always the majority when it comes to crime, assault, sexual assault, um, harassment, and that societally is something we're all hoping, hopefully working on and, and trying to address in the ways that we can. But for anyone who is a survivor, whether you're plugged into the VA um, as a veteran and can access those services or, you know, you're local to Orlando, um, Victim Service Center is always here 24-7. So there are services out there. We know it's hard to talk about and hard to access, again, especially um, depending on who you are and your age and where you come from and your belief about if you talk about these things or not. But, um, you know, that's why we're also confidential services so that you can trust that when you seek help, your privacy is respected uh, as well as your dignity. And not everybody 
wants to come to the VA. So understanding that, you know, there's certain individuals that, you know, come to VA for maybe certain services, but not others. Maybe they come for their medical, but not for their mental health or vice versa. And knowing, because that's why I've wanted to do outreach and things like this, getting to know my community friends and partners so that if I have a veteran that maybe they're like, I don't want to come to the VA, I don't trust the VA or whatever it is, that's okay. I just want you to get help somewhere. So whether it's Victim Service Center or, or 26 Health or Spectrum Health or somewhere else in the community, I want them getting care. I want them to be well. Um, and if they feel that the VA is not that fit for them, okay. So let's talk about where it is because I, I want you to feel and be better. Um, and feel healthier. So I completely agree, Kevin. I mean, some people are like, I don't want that in my record. I don't want that noted because we have a record keeping system here, right, at the VA. Um, so there are options. And so me being aware of community resources, being able to say, hey, this is another option for you, please explore it because I want you to get that help somewhere. Absolutely. I think that at the end of the day, we talk a lot specifically with survivors of this importance of them being in charge of their healing and they're the experts in their healing. So the fact that we're able to share like, Hey, these are all the resources and what works best for you is what, you know, and then you make those choices. So important and empowering for survivors. And really Carrie, I think that what you're doing in your role that you created here basically is just amazing. So thank you for all that you do. What are still, you know, I'm sure every job has challenges. So what are still some challenges that you currently face in your position? Well, I am trying to undo a lot of what has been done, right? So I'm only one of a few in the country that's been able to get this approved as a full-time position. So in that kind of trailblazer role, if you will, I'm kind of, and I've been doing this kind of last 11 years, building the plane while flying it. Um, so there's challenges that come along with, there is no template for this. I am kind of leading the way. So how do I lead the way in the best way possible? Um, so that maybe this could be a full-time position across the country at VA facilities and not just a collateral duty. And so there's a little pressure there, like no pressure at all. Um, you're one of a few in the country, right? Um, so, uh, but that being said, I've never backed down from a challenge, uh, which is a good thing. No matter how stressed and anxious I get, I don't. Um, maybe it's just the Irish stubbornness of myself, but um, I do, I, I look at that, okay, how do I be the best that I can be to help others be the best that they can be? And so that being said, the challenge becomes, how do I do this? learning to do it and not kind of following any one guide. Um, but I, over the years doing the collateral duties, I had a list of things that I wish I had time for, but that I just couldn't do because I was seeing patients all day, every day and being a part of the mental health clinic. So that list that grew to like, I think 40 or 50 things, honestly, I numbered them, um, is now something I am able to go through and pick out a few things. So I've got few projects, you know, humming right now that I'm doing and that I'm working on. Um, and I run into roadblocks, you know, whether it's putting up posters or hair removal stuff and, you know, where do I find my allies? Where do I find that I can make this happen? And, or I run into roadblock here. Okay. How do I back up and go another direction? Um, so it is a big system. How do I be a part of the change at my level, which could eventually be a part of the change at a national level? And then, you know, being on work groups nationally and on national calls and stuff like that, I think makes a difference. And sometimes people don't 
understand or see this, they think, oh, you're in meetings or you're on calls or you're this. But part of that is making sure that change trickles down to what we're doing here locally for our LGBTQ veterans. So it does matter. It does make a huge difference because it means expanding care and supports here, which is what I'm trying to do. So the other challenges is if I'm being, you know, real is that there are people, as I mentioned earlier, whether it's veteran patients or staff that have their stuck points um, about somebody that identifies the LGBTQ community. I would love that everybody be accepting and supportive and wonderful in my utopia world, but that's just not the case. And so how do I, I, I do a lot of staff training. I go to different departments, different sites. Part of my job is to do, I have a PowerPoint presentation. I do a whole training um, for staff and I, and I try and encourage individuals. If you have stuck points, let's talk about them because the bottom line is you still have to treat your coworker and you still have to treat your veteran patient in front of you with dignity and respect. So whatever your stuck points are, let's talk about how we work through that and move forward so that you can do the best job you can in supporting your coworkers, your supervisor, your patients, and what have you. Um, so that, that definitely becomes a challenge sometimes because I do get questions, I get uh, concerns. Uh, we have patient advocates that work here at the VA that our veterans go to. We have a union that our staff go to. So when things are pertaining to LGBTQ, guess who they call or email or Teams message? They find a way to get a hold of me somehow. And um, I get those each day. Now, I'm not saying I get complaints all the time. Sometimes I hear positive things. Sometimes people are reaching out and asking questions. But when the concerns arise, then I'm trying to field those and figure out a way that we can all work together to do the best that we can to service um, our patients and also work together as staff and employees. Absolutely. And I think it's super vital um, what you're doing. I think that, um, Kevin, I'd like to ask from you, I know that being at the VSC, a lot of times after someone has gone through a trauma, especially it, of course, they're, they talk a lot about like the effects of the trauma itself, but I've heard a lot where survivors talk a lot about what happened after to the way that people responded. Um, but also I can't even imagine the intersectionality piece of it where they also aren't respected as far as their identity and things like that. So what are some of the impacts and why is it important that um, people are respectful to people's identity, especially for those who have gone through trauma. Because when their identity is invalidated, it can cause re-traumatization um, because for a lot of people who are queer or othered in some way um, that may have experienced major trauma, they've also probably experienced like micro trauma every day like microaggressions and, and being misgendered here and there and having to cope with that on the regular basis. So when we can see their identity and validate and support it, we let them know that they're in a safe space and that we're a safe person and that they don't have to worry about holding their breath around us, you know, waiting to see how we're going to respond, how we feel about them, how we interact with them. Um, so that's a huge part of it. And, you know, especially as care providers, if we have those missteps of not being supportive, then we lose someone who needed help. Um, so it's always being mindful of being as respectful as we can so that we can get that person the help and the resources that they're looking for. 
Absolutely. I appreciate that, Kevin. And, you know, I know, Carrie, you said that you had a lot of projects that you were, you know, um, and a lot of goals and big plans. So what are your, some of those goals and, and what's your mission? So I have this big dream, my long-term goal. Uh, we have clinics here at all of our facilities. So at Lake Baldwin, we have teal team, orange team, purple team, they're colors here at Baldwin. At Nona, it's hero team, um, victory team, and things like that. My long-term goal is to have a pride team. I would love to have a primary care team that is one-stop shopping for our LGBTQ veterans. So they come there, they know their primary care doc is LGBTQ friendly, their therapist, the coordinators there, services are there. Um, so that's kind of a long-term goal of mine is to have a pride clinic along with our other clinics um, here at the Orlando VA. There are a couple of VAs in the country that do have something along those lines set up. Um, so that's kind of my longer term dream and goal. And believe me, I won't shut up about that one either. So it's going to eventually happen. Um, but in the meantime, um, short term goal stuff, um, working on the hair removal stuff is a big one I'm working on right now, making sure I'm doing record reviews, making sure we're documenting pronouns appropriately names appropriately. Um, things of that nature, because that wasn't something that I had time to do in the past that I, I do now. Um, you know, working on having those posters put up in our check-in areas and, you know, making sure people know who our point of contact is for LGBTQ concerns or questions. Um, you know, things, of, so short-term stuff, I, I have a whole bunch of things that I'm working on. Long-term stuff, I got some bigger projects um, in the works and, and being on our national work groups as we work towards providing gender affirming surgeries and how I can help in that process as we move in that direction. Um, continuing to be our region, our vision lead, and making sure all of our LGBTQ coordinators are able to do what they need to do at each of their facilities in Puerto Rico and Miami and West Palm and Tampa and Bay Pines and Gainesville and all that. Um, so helping them with their jobs, since they're not full-time, they're all still doing this as a collateral duty. So how do I assist them in getting to that point and, and making sure that, because I always tell people, if you've been to one VA, you've been to one VA. Although we all have national policies and procedure, every VA is unique in its own way. And not every VA has that top-down support that I do here in Orlando that I'm very grateful for. So um, when people run into roadblocks, how can I help them navigate those roadblocks that they may be having too? And then vice versa, if I'm running into a roadblock here, how do I reach out to others and say, hey, how y'all doing this? You know. So doing those kinds of things and making sure we're providing that best care possible. I plan to expand groups too. I'm doing my two groups virtually right now, but I, I want to take myself to do groups in our residential facility. We have two residential domiciliaries here um, at Baldwin and at Lake Nona, and I want to do LGBT groups at the residential facility versus them having to come to me um, and expand groups down at Lake Nona. So expanding group options to different locations. Um, not a lot of people know this, but I started in my own time a, a veteran group at the LGBT Center. It's the fourth Monday monthly from 5 to 6 p.m. I just had it this past Monday. I just started it a couple months ago. So we've only had a couple few people, but we've got to start somewhere. So reaching out into the community to those veterans that maybe don't want to come to the VA, don't trust the VA, how do I go out and tell them? about all this great stuff that we're talking about. How do I reach out to them and say, hey, if you don't wanna come here, maybe I come to you um, and, and things of that nature. So that's kind of some of the stuff that I have in the works. I love it. I, you're just, you know, 
just like the VSC, you want to, you know, save the world. So I totally get that. That's amazing. Um, all those great uh, services. And then also your mission there. I, I wish you all the best. I know that a lot of the things that you mentioned will definitely manifest because you're spearheading it. Um, so if someone's listening, feels really passionate about this issue, what advice would you give them and how they can help support LGBTQ plus vets? So definitely, I would say if you're not enrolled at the VA, get enrolled. So every time I meet a veteran and they say I'm not enrolled or this, that, and the other, and they have these reasons why, do it anyway. You're a veteran. As long as you know you weren't dishonorably discharged, you can get services at the VA. Um, and you don't have to get them all at the VA, but you never know when you might need the VA for something. Maybe you just need it for medication. Maybe you just need it for mental health care. Maybe you just need it for you know medical care. Enroll anyways just in case you need it. And then if you need it, great. If you don't, that's fine too. And then if you want to get involved, then volunteer. We're always looking for volunteers. We've got nine sites now. We've got the huge hospital. So they're always looking for volunteers at the VA as well. Register to be a VA volunteer. You want to get involved in helping veterans. You want to get involved in helping LGBTQ veterans. That's a great way to do it. Um, you know, you can reach out to me when I do outreach events, granted COVID has put a damper on some of that in the last year and a half, but as we get back to doing more outreach events again, I'm always looking for people to, um, volunteer for those events, like come out with pride, walk with us in the parade, be the out and proud veteran and walk with the VA and the out and proud vets in the parade, you know, and things of that nature, um, things, just things like that. I plan to keep growing services and supports here. I've already asked for more staff and I'm just getting into this role right now, but my goal is to have a, a peer support staff, uh, an LGBTQ veteran who is a peer support staff to other veterans because we have peer support staff, but we don't have a specific LGBTQ veteran one. And I really want it. That's another goal of mine. So we're going to be looking to expand staff and services. So keep your eyes and ears peeled as well. Um, and, uh, you know, feel free to reach out to me at any time. I love that. Yeah. I think that that's an amazing, I love all your little goals that are huge and like, it's such a long list. It's probably like, 50. Oh yeah. It just yeah. keeps growing. <laughs> yeah. You like do one thing and then like five other things like, Oh, we can do this and this. So I totally get that. Um, Kevin, what can we do as supporters for LGBTQ plus survivors? For LGBTQ plus survivors, I think just being that support person in their life. If you're a friend or family member, um, always asking the question, how can I help you right now? You know, don't assume how they need help and support, ask them for what they need and, and be there in the ways that you're able to. And then of course, use all of these incredible resources, whether it's the VA victim service center, um, the center of central Florida zebra coalition, uh, bliss healthcare 26 health. There's so many, resources out there that if you're feeling stuck with how to help somebody, there's at least 10 places you can call to look for more information. So we're never short of resources. Um, you know, VSC, we have even our 24 seven helpline that literally at any point you have a question about supporting someone with sexual assault, you can call at 3am. Um, you might wake someone up and they might sound a little funky, you know, <laughs> just waking up, but they will answer the phone and they will help you out. So um, be open, be supportive, be validating of their identity and their experience, and then help them get the resources that they need. Love it. Yeah. And, um, 
Absolutely. And I think also um, what you were mentioning too, uh, Carrie, you, you mentioned that you're going to be in Pride. And of course, you could be a volunteer at the VSE as well. Um, so I wanted to hear what exactly are you doing for Pride? So this will be the 11th year um, that I've had the honor to walk in the parade with the VA and the Out and Proud veterans. And then we've had a table, I think, in the marketplace the last well, five or six years. Um, so we're going to do that again this year. Um, again, it's another great way for me to get out there. And, and when I say, hey, are you a veteran? They're like, yeah. And they, maybe they're from the area. Maybe they're from another area. I'm like, well, did you know that there's LGBTQ services at your local VA? Because there is. And so being able to go out and tell people that when people are oftentimes don't know that has been valuable because they'll say, you know, I, I've had people reach out to me from other states, like, hey, I had a vet that was in Orlando and they were at Pride and they told me about meeting you and, you know, ended up, you know, going back and asking at their local VA facility, which is is huge or not knowing that they could enroll at the VA um, and things of that and telling them how they can enroll at the VA and, you know, that we all work together. All those tables and booths that are in the marketplace, I make sure I run around and try and visit all of them so I can make sure I have those resources, uh, like I was just talking about, you know, earlier, like, so that I can pass those on to veterans, because I want them to have options, whether it's the VA and or other options in the community for support and services, I want them to have that. And along with myself, I usually have our um, Orlando Vet Center. Elizabeth Jackson is um, the outreach coordinator there. She comes with me every year as well. So if she wants to let people know about uh, the Vet Center supports and services and our suicide prevention, usually one of our case managers comes with me because obviously suicide prevention is something that we want to um, talk about and let veterans know we support them and include our LGBTQ veterans. So having other staff with me from other programs and, and other organizations um, so that they know that we do serve all who served and we want to be there to help in any way we can um, support them in their journey, whatever that journey and their goals are. Amazing. I love that. And Kevin, can you talk a little bit about what the VSC is doing for Pride? Because we will see you there, Carrie. <laughs> yes, we are going to have our booth. We're going to have, of course, collateral information, um, crisis cards that we encourage everyone to have some in case they ever need to call that 24-7 helpline. We're going to have some Pride-themed buttons that support uh, consent and boundaries and healthy relationships, which we love to talk about. We're going to do a spin the wheel game with prizes and information if you win. Um, we're going to have lots of goodies to give out, lots of games. So it's going to be a fun time to stop by. Um, we're also always next to our friends at Zebra Coalition. So you can learn about us and them at the same time and um, through our partnership. So we will be there. And we're, I mean, mostly we have our stuff, but we're also just there to talk, get to know people in the community um, and see how we can always help each other out. Love it. Yeah. Pride is such a fun time. Um, always. It's a really fun outreach event. So if you're listening and you're like, I want to be a volunteer at the VA or at the VSC, um, that is an awesome outreach event to do. It was the first one I did as a volunteer here before I got my job. So yeah, absolutely. I wanted to say, I think that that's a great place to sign off before I do. Is there anything else you'd like to bring up that we may not have covered? And if there's anything you'd like to say to the LGBTQ plus vets out there or survivors out there. Um, I would like to, I know Kevin mentioned uh, the VSC hotline. Um, for those that don't know, we have the veterans crisis line as well. Um, so it's 1-800-273-TALK. 
which is 8255, and then you press one if you're a veteran. That is 24-7 as well. You know, whether it's you're in crisis or, you know, you need somebody to talk to in the middle of the night, as Kevin mentioned, um, the Veterans Crisis Hotline is available uh, to veterans as well. So they just press one when they call that National Crisis Line. Um, because uh, again, I don't want people to feel alone. I mean, I work Monday through Friday, you know, so I'm not here in the evenings and on the weekends. So it's good that we have a touchstone and they are supportive and open to listening to anybody to include LGBTQ veterans. Um, so that, and, and if somebody is in crisis and they need help, they will send people out to assist them and get them to the Lake Nona hospital or their nearest hospital or where they need to go in order to be safe and to be taken care of and supported. So I just want to make mention of that as well. That's incredible. I had no idea. So yeah, absolutely. Um, it's so vital that people know what, what resources and they're not alone and they have people to reach out to. Kevin, is there anything you'd like to say before we sign off? Just to really reiterate that, um, there is support for you. There are people who believe you, even if, you know, your circle of family and friends don't, or they're questioning what happened to you. Um, there are people that are here that are here to believe, here to support, and here to make sure that you heal from whatever trauma that may have happened to you and that you may have come across in your life. So um, no one is alone in that. And so we're here. Uh, we're also friendly faces too. So if you just want a supportive place to come and be yourself, that's what we're here for as well. That's a wonderful place to sign off. Um, thank you so much. And thank you to the listener for listening to the Victim Service Center podcast. The VSC is a nonprofit organization that provides free confidential counseling services for victims of any kind of trauma in Central Florida. To learn more about our services, please visit victimservicecenter.org. To everyone listening, healing is not linear and you are not alone. And thank you so, so much, Carrie and Kevin, thank for you. joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.